Hello, welcome, how we doing? Yeah. Oh, so great to see you guys today. Welcome for uh, everybody joining us. It's a full house today. Thanks for joining us online uh, from around the world, live or throughout your week. Uh, if, you're, if you're joining us live, tell us like where you're at right now. Well, shout out from South Dakota or Korea or wherever you're at. I don't know if you know this, but every week we're joined by people from around the world who call Cape Christian home online as well. Isn't it cool that technology allows us to preach the gospel around the globe? It's fantastic. Um, hey, uh, a couple things I just want to draw a quick attention to before we dive back into our message and our series. Um, first of all, I'm excited to uh, uh, let you know that we have hired our children's pastor finally after searching for almost eight months. We have a full pastoral staff now. Um, go ahead and put the picture up. Pastor Josh Delaney uh, and his wife Brittany have joined our team as of a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah, so exciting. Um, he's not here for me to introduce because he's over there with all of our kids. Um, but uh, he was, him and his family actually relocated here recently uh, to help start a homeless ministry that they were a part of in St. Louis. Uh, churches on the streets where they reach out to the homeless, preach the gospel, give them needs. It's fantastic. Um, he was uh, on staff at a great church in St. Louis for several years before this doing children's ministry. And he is a great addition to our team. Um, also on the topic of kids, uh, our kids team is really excited to offer our community a safe, family-friendly and environment alternative to Halloween. So we are doing trunk or treat over out in the parking lot by our kids' building. Um, so what we need is we need candy and trunks. So we need 84 cars for 84 spots that can decorate a theme and have fun with it, as well as as much candy as we can provide. Uh, again, we just wanted our campus to be a safe place for people to bring their families. Uh, one of our church codes is that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And uh, I'm excited to, uh, to do that. And if you think Halloween is the devil's holiday, just do a little research. It's not. Um, I'm going to leverage every bit of this culture I can to reach people. And that's the kind of church that we are. Um, and, uh, and then finally, speaking of kids, we are really excited because this weekend is one of our two times every year where we do our Haiti meal packing. That's actually this year going to take place right in the chapel, right through those doors after service, not in the student center like it does. Uh, but we're going to be packing 55,000 um, bags, which actually feeds 275,000 kids in Haiti, which is incredible. Yeah. So... Um, so this weekend, we have the opportunity to do that right after service. I'll dismiss you and we can go there. Even if you didn't sign up, you can go. We also have a few child sponsorships in the uh, lobby if you want to grab a child and would rather uh, invest into a child that way as well. Um, and you can give to Haiti Meal Packing. So there's lots of opportunities to invest into kids and families in our community as well as around the globe. Uh, so now that we got that out of the way, you guys ready for the word? Ready for the word of God? Yes. Awesome. Well, we are. Last week, we just jumped into our series called Who Is This Man? Uh, the, book is at the, uh, the book is at the Connect table in the lobby. Also, the Jesus shirts are in the lobby. You can get those. Um, all of you went there last, year, last week, even though I told you not to. They weren't available, but they are available this week. Um, we have more books available as well. We are not completely teaching out of this book. We're not covering all of it, but highly recommend this. There's so much good stuff in it that we're not going to have time to cover uh, in the weeks uh, with the message. But, um, but that's kind of where we're going. And we're asking the question, who is this man? We're looking at the life of Jesus and his impact on hi human history. Last week, I kind of spanned all the different kind of arenas that Jesus touches, art and music and, and women and children and dignity and education and uh, all kinds of things. In the next few weeks, we're going to drill down on a few more topics as we continue to learn the world that Jesus lived in as we ask the question, who is this guy? Who was he? And what does it have to do with how I live my life uh, today? And so um, today we're going to dive into a story that is... Uh, 
the most awkward dinner uh, conversation that Jesus ever had in the Gospels. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. Uh, I can't wait to dive into it. But first, I just got to let you know that after years and years of traveling, I was finally upgraded on Delta to silver medallion status. I'm so excited. Um, I know some of you don't care, but I know, you know, I do a bit of traveling. I speak and I go other places and do things. Um, and I, I've, I've always wondered how you get your name on the list for potential upgrades to go from coach to first class, to go from coach to uh, you get your name on a list. And if there's business class or there's first class, you get to move up. And, and I've, this has never happened to me. I've never flown first class. I got upgraded to business class one time. But I, I am relentless in my approach. Every single time I fly, I always walk to the counter. I get there early and I find whoever's asked, you know, at the counter and I, and I say to them, they say, hey, can I help you? And I say, yes, you look like somebody who wants to give me a free upgrade. I say it every time. I promise you I do this. I lay on the charm and I'm like, listen, I fly all the time. And and they're always happy to help. They're like, oh, what's your flight number? And they look and then they're like, oh, you don't have any status, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I didn't say I had status. I said, you look like somebody who wants to give me a free upgrade because I have the app right here. And you and I both know there's three business seats and four first class seats that no one's going to sit in. Well, I could move you to the upgrade list, but you'd be like 50th on the upgrade list. I'm like, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Like, we are not on the same page here. Well, I finally got enough, spent enough money, got enough miles. I'm on silver medallion, which only to find out it's like the lowest tier of any status. I'm still going to be last on the list, but I'm at least just happy to get my name on that list. Because um, maybe one day I get to fly to Atlanta all 45 minutes in first class. I don't know. But the reason I tell you that is, I mean, you, you all fly, you travel, you know how it is. It's interesting, the airline system. And I say that because um, airlines are very similar to the way the world was when Jesus lived, both with the Roman society as well as the Jewish religious society. Because in those days, in the days of Jesus, um, the Roman Empire organized its occupants much like airlines organize their passengers. And really, what are the two main distinctions on any airline? There's coach and then there's first class. This was how life was in the days of Jesus. And so we're going to get into our story, but I want you to understand the world and the context because it will make so much more sense of this dinner party that goes horribly wrong for the host and everybody there except for Jesus. Um, and so in, in the Roman Empire, there was the, there was the religious, or there were the elites, there were the have and there were the have nots. And um, your status, it, it, that whole culture was a race to status and worth and importance. And, and in fact, here's how the world was and how it was viewed in those days. That the, at, every, at, at the top of the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, all of it, all these nations, they had all of their gods. Now, most nations in histor- historically that have had uh, religions attached to them had many, many gods. The Romans had many gods. They had a sun god, and they had a justice god, and they had a fertility god, and they had a fish god, and they had a bird god. I mean, they had a god for everything. And so they have the gods. And so at the very top of their hierarchical kind of tiered system, their hierarchical way of ordering life was the gods. Then right under the gods was the king. Then under the king was the, the king's court, the senators, uh, all of his court people, and the priests that answered to the king. Then under them would be like your merchants, your artisans, your craftsmen, your kind of your business people. And then under them were your common people. And then under them were your slaves and, and, and your foreigners, um, as, as well as maybe your peasants 
uh, your peasants and your slaves were literally the dregs of humanity. Then below them were all the casticides, which in those days would have been women, would have been children, and definitely anybody who was deformed uh, or, or had any sort of handicap or anything like that. In fact, in Jesus's day, it's important to note that even the, even the Pharisees believed that anybody who had any sort of deformity didn't have the ability to reflect the perfect image of the holy God, and so they were cast aside. They were not allowed in the temple. They weren't, they weren't maybe killed, but they were not allowed in the temple because they couldn't reflect the image of God. And then Jesus shows up, and he is about to attack this whole system. In fact, this, what I just described to you is known by historians. It's called the dignity gap. And in the dignity gap, the further away you were from the top, the less dignity that you had bestowed upon you. And this is so important to understand, and it's so different than our culture. In those days, if you, uh, if you were the king, it was viewed that because there was the gods and then there was the king, that the king was made in the image of God because he was right there. But only the king was made in the image of the gods, and everybody else was there to serve the king. And so the king was viewed as semi-divine or divine because he was created by the gods in their image with their nobility and with their honor and with their status. But then everybody else under them, there was just this dignity gap serving the king. And so unless you were the king, you didn't really have a lot of dignity, depending on how close you were to the king. And that's where we get this dignity gap. So as, as, as a system and as a culture, as a, as a nation, as a world where this is the world Jesus lives in, if only the king is made in the image of God, doesn't this draw a huge dividing line between the king and the rest of human race, right? It's like when you fly on an airline, it's the difference between first class and everybody else. First class usually gets to get on first, right? They sometimes have a red carpet. They even go in a different gate sometimes. They don't have to fight over arm space because they have their own. You get to put your bags in there. You get to eat on nice china. You get to drink free wine and, and ginger ale, which people only drink on planes for whatever reason, um, and whatever else you want to drink. It's, it's, it's the difference between the elites and the have and the have-nots. In the Roman society, your first class would have been the top 1% or 2%, and then the 98% of us would have lived in coach. In fact, they had groupings for these literally called the nobodies. And so the idea was the king was made in the image of God. And then there was this huge dividing line for everybody else. And then the gap became challenged by an idea. In fact, it was an idea that Israel had safeguarded for, for several years, centuries, in fact. But here was the idea. There is what, but one God. He's incredibly good. And get this. He made every human being in his image. Every human being. The poor, the lame, the blind. The women, the children, the black, the white, the Hispanic, the, the old, the young, the religious, the, 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 the slave, the peasant, the craftsman, the artisan, the court people, the priest, the king, all made in the image of God. This was the idea that Jesus brought. This was a radical idea regarding dignity. And Jesus was heir to this. And he lived it and taught in a way and treated people in a way that no one had ever seen in the world. Up to this point in the history of the world, nobody ever taught the way Jesus taught, lived the way he did, and treated people the way he did to kind of challenge this gap. Now, imagine for a second. If there's the top 2% and all of a sudden there's this new emerging idea that everybody has bestowed worth, dignity is, is afforded to everyone because everybody equally bears the image of God, what do you think this does to the hearts of the 98% that are not the haves? It gives them hope. It gives them purpose. It gives them identity. It levels the playing field. What do you think it does to the top 2%? Oh, it ticks them off. 
They, they do not like this message. What do you mean you're equal to me? Again, in a world that I don't even have the ability to, with words to paint a picture of how much it was about status and nobility and excellence and greatness. It's where we get the Olympics, all of that. That came out of that whole time in history. And Jesus offers this idea that dignity is afforded to everybody equally, that worth is afforded to everybody equally. And so, of course, you have these, this group of people who have been oppressed by whatever system, whether they were Roman or even in the religious elites with the Pharisees and the people that were even Jewish. And, and they're, of course, they're loving the words of Jesus because like, wait, you're saying that like all men are created equal and, and, and all of the Roman leaders and all of the Jewish leaders are like, oh, heck no. Because if this is true, they lose their status, they lose their position, they lose their dignity gap. And so this message became radical. And here was the idea, crazy idea. When Jesus looked at people, he saw the image of God. Every person he interacted with, the way he treated people, the way he talked to them, he literally, it caused him to teach, teach and treat people with, eat with such dignity because he literally looked at every person as bearing the image of God. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you see, when you look at other people, do you see other people as bearers of the image of God? Whether they're people you know or don't know, whether they're people you like or don't like, whether they're people that are like you or dislike you, whether the people who have made way more mistakes than you or been more successful than you, when you look at people, do you see that everybody bears the image of their creator? And then here's the second question. Do you see yourself as an image bearer of God? Do you really, when you look in the mirror, you get up in the morning, you go, man, I am made in the image of my creator. I bear the image of God. This naturally gives me worth. It gives me value. It gives me dignity. It bestows honor upon me. Because if you can't see the worth that you have, there's no way you'll see the worth that others have. And this is, listen, I'll just tell you, everything that Jesus introduced, none of it was like you needed a PhD to understand. In fact, most of his followers were uneducated, unschooled people. It's all really simple, but we still haven't been able after thousands of years to really wrap our minds and hearts around it. And so we come to church every week to be reminded of how much more there is we can do, right? Jesus is really just saying, crazy idea, love God, view other people as image bearers of, of God, treat them as such. But that actually has to start with you understanding that you bear the image of God, that you were created in his image and you are, there is no tier system. You have value, you have worth because God says so, not because of anything you have or haven't done. This was the idea that Jesus came and introduced in, in per, uh, perhaps a time in history where status and worth mattered more than any other time. He, and, and here's the most ironic thing about Jesus. This is what's just so fascinating to me. He changed the conversation about who has worth and dignity. But when he entered the world, he had no dignity. He was born to a woman who wasn't married to his dad. In those days, that would, the, the term they gave that was a mamzer. Uh, basically, every society in history has had a word for a child that was born uh, without parents, parents that were married. None of them have been good that I've found so far. Not only was he, did he come into the world with no dignity, he actually left the world with even less dignity than he came with. He died convicted beaten, bleeding, abandoned, almost naked, shamed. In fact, in the Jewish culture, they had a scripture that said, cursed is anyone who dies and is hung on a tree. How did Jesus die? Hung on a tree. He literally came into the world with no dignity, left the world with less dignity than he had, yet he had this message and this idea that everybody bared the image of God and he changed the conversation for dignity. And in fact, we still see it in our everyday world all the time. How did he do this? Because in those days, it would have been Herod 
Not Jesus that would have been a great man. It would have been Caesar, not Jesus that would have been a picture of greatness, leading armies and having honor and of noble birth and leading the Roman Senate and all of those things. The reality is that Jesus came to redefine dignity. He redefined dignity. And you can imagine, again, as I said, what this did to the dregs of humanity that had been told that they really have no worth. Maybe you're here listening. Maybe you're here watching. And you, for whatever reason, the way the decisions you've made or the way that other people have treated you have sent you the message over and over that you really don't have that much worth. You're not worth protecting. You don't really have dignity. You don't have value. Jesus came so that you, 2,000 years later in another part of the world, would know that that's not how he set it up, that you have worth that you have dignity, that there is no social caste system in his kingdom. It is, it's everybody has the same value because we all bear the image of our creator. And if you ever have, uh, as a kid, or maybe you have kids and you have like a blanket or a stuffed animal or a doll or a toy that is broken, dirty, hideous, torn, scratched up, like the doll used to have limbs, but it doesn't anymore, it has an eye. Um, it's, and if you tried to sell it at a garage sale, you would maybe get a penny, right? But you would never dare throw it away, right? Because it was your daughter's doll and it was her blanket. And she sat with it and she cried with it and she slept with it. And, and I, it's the one where, where's, where's Binky? Where's, where's whatever you name it or whatever the thing is. And it has literally no worth. If you tried to sell it to somebody else, they're like, you couldn't even pay me to take that from you. It's hideous. <laughs> but you would never get rid of it. Why? Because it means something so much to you or, or your child. That's what bestowed worth is. And that's the value that we have is that God made you. And while other people may not think that you're worth, that they wouldn't even pay to like be your friend. God says, yeah, but I say they're important and they bear my image. And so every single time you walk around, everywhere you go, you walk with bestowed worth. And, the de- and I'll tell you, the enemy's big game in your life is to try to convince you that that worth is not real, is that you do not have that worth because he knows if you won't buy into your own worth, you won't treat anybody else like they have worth. And what he's afraid of is that you're going to understand that you are a princess, that you're a daughter of the most high, that you're the son of the most high. You're going to walk in that love. You're going to walk in that authority. And not only are you going to accept it, but you are actually going to treat other people the same way because the devil orphaned himself when he said no to God. And he's just trying to make more versions of himself. Every boy and every girl. So Jesus changes conversation. But in Jesus's day, ordinary children did not share the king's image. In Jesus's day, women did not share the king's image. The poor did not share the king's image. Servants did not carry the king's image. Foreigners did not carry the king's image. Even definitely the sick, the lame, the blind, the maimed, the the handicapped did not carry the king's image. Even successful businessmen like artisans and craftsmen didn't carry the king's image. But because of Jesus, even the lowly were given dignity. And while Jesus viewed people with great dignity, one of the most underlying values that Jesus modeled was the worth that God placed on every human life. Now, we're obsessed with worth, right? I mean, we're obsessed. We want to know what the worth of everything is. What's the value of this car? You could have two diamonds or gems that look the same, but if they have the different color, different clarity, different cut, where they came from, they have different worth. What's the boat worth? What's the house worth? You know, what's my net worth? We even have a book that tells you what a a vehicle, if there's a vehicle you have and it has this many miles and it's this old, you can look at it. It's called the, the blue book, right? And we call it the blue book because if you want a car and then you go research, you know, how much uh, uh, the car you want with the miles and, and how much it costs, and then you're blue when you realize how expensive it is. <laughs> but we have this blue book and it tells you the value or the worth of something. Well, Jesus came to help the world understand that God's blue book is not the same as our blue book. The God, in God's blue book, everyone has value. Everyone bears the image. And there's one particular scripture that is just hilarious to me that, uh, that Jesus really brings this conversation to the forefront, uh, much to the chagrin of the host and the people who were there. Most of the time in Jesus's day, who did he end up sitting and dining with? Criminals, sinners, tax collectors, right? He was almost always invited or inviting himself to the, to the dregs of humanity. 
That's who he would be with. But once in a great while, you see a scripture where he was invited to be with the religious elites. And so that's what Luke chapter 14 is. And that's our passage. And this is so fascinating to me because I imagine the conversation. Jesus, with this message, has literally flipped the culture on its head. All the 98% are like, we like this Jesus guy. He tells us we have value. He tells us we have worth. He tells us that we can have peace even in the midst of hard times. And we like to follow him. Well, of course, this ticked off the Roman leaders and the religious elites of the Jews. And so they wanted to catch him in, in, a, in breaking a law. They wanted to trap him. And so they started monitoring him. And so here was this idea. Hey, let's invite him over to dinner and we can catch him doing something. And I just imagine the conversation going like, uh, some of them going like, listen, I've been watching this dude. Like I've been following him. This is not going to go well for us. Like I've, it's never going to, it's not going to go well. He has no social radar. He doesn't care about making an awkward situation. He's going to put things in our face. Like, have you ever been around him? He's not an affable guest. He hangs out with losers. His disciples are crazy. And not only that, like he's going to bring up stuff you shouldn't bring up in a conversation. Like any of you have, have any of you ever had like family gatherings or a dinner party where it's like you have that one person that comes and it's like, if they come, you know, it's just going to get awkward and real fast. Like if you ever been to an awkward dinner party or family gathering, it's like, who's going to be there? And you know, if like cousin Eddie or aunt so-and-so comes, it's like, you know, this is going to be good for no one. And it's like the whole time you're there, it's just like, make it go away, make it go away. Hey, make it go away. How fast can I leave? That's Luke chapter 14. This is hilarious to me. And so they invite Jesus. They're like, hey, we want to invite Jesus over for, and I just imagine them just going like, this, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. I mean, this is, the, this is like the equivalent of like having somebody over. And it's like, hey, welcome, everybody. You know, so what do you think about gun law with Trump and the gay agenda? And how about the economy? And what do you think about the border wall? I mean, it's like, oh, we're going to go there. We haven't even sat down. Like, this is what's, this is what's about to happen. So uh, a few things you need to know about a dinner party. When you had, a, dinner, when you had a, a meal, it was a token of acceptance. You were accepted. But there was a seating arrangement where the host would always sit in the middle with their back to the door, and the, the most important guests would sit the closest to the host. So from right to left, one, two, three, four. I've taught this before. So a seating chart, there was that. And then you would never, it wasn't like grab a plate, the buffet line's in the kitchen. You would have people come and serve you. You would never get up, and it was about conversation. And so they would have had servants serving them, and they would have been eating this dinner conversation. And so Jesus is about just to blast this whole experience and it's fantastic. Uh, also, there was a, a, an important law that on the Sabbath in the Jewish culture, you did no work. You could never, you couldn't do any work. And so there was always this controversy. Jesus was always like helping people on the Sabbath and it drove them crazy. And so, uh, so there's this whole setting and you're going to just see that Luke is like, let me just tell you about the most awkward dinner party ever written in the gospels. So here's how it starts. In two words, you're going to realize, okay, this is not going to go well. It says one Sabbath. Oh, okay, that's great. Uh, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house, of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, which is fascinating. I just think it's so funny that they were going to try to trap Jesus, try to watch Jesus, try to judge Jesus. Okay. It says, there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. This was uh, known as edema, uh, where fluids would come into parts of your body and there would be massive swelling on all kinds of parts of your body. It was very visible. It was awkward. It was, it was very, I mean, it was, it was gross. So now let me ask you this. If he's sitting at the house of a prominent Pharisee, is this man there as a honored guest for the table? No. Why is he there? He's serving. He's, he's serving. He is a server. He's serving. And here's what you have to understand about what's going to happen. 
because in those days they, uh, they believed that anybody who had physical ailment or was maimed or handicapped didn't bear the holiness of God, they wouldn't let them in the temple. Well, the Jews in this time and the Pharisees believed that Rome had kind of uh, tainted and toxified the temple. And so they would treat their houses like many temples. So they started applying the temple rules to their houses in a way to like preserve the temple, even though they thought Rome kind of ruined it. So, to, so that's what's happening in this house. And so this man is in the room because he's serving these honored, prominent guests. And Jesus, with this man standing right, says they're in front of him, in front of him. They're in front of Jesus. So he's serving. He's right there. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law. He's like, hey, I got a question. This dude is three feet away. Hey, what do you guys think about healing on the Sabbath? Like, it's one thing to be in a small group and have the rhetorical religious question, but the guy who needs healing is two feet away. And he's standing there in front of all of these religious elites who want to catch Jesus because he's been healing people on the Sabbath. He goes, hey, I got a question. What are your guys' thoughts on healing on the Sabbath? This was not just a rhetorical question. This is so awkward. Imagine they're like, what do we, do? What do we say? Because he's asking in front of us. Imagine being the man. He's like, uh, what is happening right now? Like, I did not ask for this. Me and Jesus didn't talk about this. I didn't want this. Like, I don't know what he's doing. So it's like, hey, what do you, and it's like, can't we pick a, a simpler topic? The weather, I don't know, something, how beautiful Solomon's colonnades are, I don't know. So what are your thoughts? And it says, but they remain silent. So he's like, nobody, anybody thoughts on healing on the Sabbath? No. And this dude who needs healing is right in front of them. It says, so he took hold of the man. This is awesome. So he took hold of the man and healed him and sent him on his way. So this guy's right here. He's like, hey, um, so thoughts on healing on the Sabbath? Guy's right there. He's like, nobody? Okay. In the name of me, be healed, you know? Uh, and he is. And then he's like, cool, you can go now. He's like, wait, you just like created this super awkward, like, why did you bring that here? Can't we just have a meal? And it's like, man, what, what is going on? And, and so he heals him. Um, and so now the, if you're in the audience, if you're, one of the, if you're the host or in dining, you're like, man, I hope whoever talks next like just has more of a social radar and brings up something like way more chill. Well, Jesus talked next, and he was not chill. Because he takes it, he's like, he takes it another. And another thing he says in verse 5, he says, let me ask you a question. If one of you has an ox, a child or an ox that falls into the well on a Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately pull it out? So he goes, takes the conversation further. He said, now, if you had something you cared about, like an animal to help you do your work or a child, and it fell into a well, wouldn't you help it on the Sabbath? So he's just healed a guy on the Sabbath in front of them, which they didn't like because it affected their law. And now he's saying, hey, would you help somebody? And again, what do you think they had to say? Nothing. Because they're like, who? Somebody changed the subject. Why does this guy keep talking? <laughs> they have nothing to say. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to destroy their religion. He didn't come to change their law. He was fully Jewish, a fully rabbi. What he was trying to do was change their understanding of the value of every human life. What he was doing was saying that that ox or that child super matters to you. And so absolutely something of importance that you lost, you would go find it on the Sabbath. And that's why I just did what I did. I mean, at this point, they're like, somebody else needs to speak up. I hope like they're just going like Jesus has no social radar. He just doesn't care. Like hopefully like he's done giving advice. Well, then Jesus speaks up again and offers more advice. So he could have just left it there, but this is Jesus' time, and he's just grilling him. So then he's like, actually, he goes, um, another thing, can I give you some advice on some things I've noticed here today? They're like, dear God, make it go away. Make it stop. 
He says, I couldn't help but notice how you, how you arrange your seats and how your seats of honor and, and, and how you came and sat down. In fact, it says, uh, he, I, he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor. So he's like, here's a thought. When someone invites you to a wedding or a feast, don't take the seat of honor. Uh, don't take the seat of honor for a person more distinguished than you might be invited. If so, the host who is invited, both you of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you're going to have to take the seat of the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests for all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all of those who humble themselves will be exalted. What he's saying is, hey, I, 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 let, me, let me just give you some advice about this. He says, this is what he's really saying. He goes, I couldn't help but notice that um, you seem to think that uh, somebody who is in suffering doesn't matter, but what does matter is a race to the front seat, is a race to the seat of honor. He's saying, you have it completely backwards. You're ignoring the people who need help because you're so busy trying to get in the seat of honor. What if we did it the other way and we said, how about we heal people and we take care of people because they carry the image of God? And oh, by the way, what if we, what if we race to the end and we could be exalted? Because anybody who's going to exalt themselves is going to be humbled, but whoever humble themselves will be exalted. He's talking to a group that had never worked on ever humbling themselves. He's only talking to a group that was trying to race to the seat of honor. And he's trying to under, help us to understand that Jesus came to redefine dignity and reestablish the worth of every human. He's saying, this man... This child of God, what, with the, the guy with the edema, he's saying, this child matters to the heavenly father. And it may be a Sabbath, but he came to heal and take care of his kids. And every single one of them matters, so I'm going to heal him. And what if instead of a race to the front and some social status tier system so we could get some dignity gap closed up, what if we race to the back instead of the front? At this point, they're like, he's got to be done. Like, <laughs> somebody change the subject. Jesus is like, oh, and another thing. <laughs> Just while I'm at it, like while we're here. He goes on and he says, when you give a lunch or a dinner, this is awesome. Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your sister or your relatives or your, or your rich neighbors, because if you do, you might be invited back and get repaid. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Because although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. Again, if their houses were to be many temples, he's actually tell them, bring everything that you regard not worthy of God's image and holiness. You should invite that into your house and do it to somebody who can't repay you. He said, you should invite them. Some of you, this is the scripture you've been looking for your whole life. He said, don't invite your brothers, sisters, and your relatives. <laughs> if you've ever been looking for a scripture, like this is the one, you, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. You're welcome. Like, listen, we... We're going to do Christmas a little different this year, fam. I've been following Jesus. Who is this guy? Again, see, I, this is I love Jesus. But Jesus isn't saying don't invite your friends. He's not saying don't invite. He is changing the way they think about the most important. And he's, he's helping them to understand that my father welcomes the cripple, the lame, the blind, the outcast, the bottom of the dignity gap. Let's invite them in. Let's, let's bless those who can't pay us back. Let's not invite the rich neighbor hoping they, invite, they can pay us back or the brothers and sisters. He's changing the conversation. And then verse 15 is the funniest because somebody's finally going to break the silence and uh, like try to change the subject. So somebody pipes up and goes, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, yeah, about that. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> and he just keeps going. 
And he said, actually, there was a man preparing for a banquet and everybody he invited gave him a reason why they couldn't go. They gave him excuses. I got to go bury my friends. I got a business thing. I got to go to the ball game. So then the master says, why don't you go and invite the cripple and the lame and the blind? And they're like, dude, what's with the cripple, the lame and the blind? They don't get to be here. And then fill it with everybody who wants to be there. And they said, well, and then the, he tells the parable and he says, well, there's still more room. He says, then go into the highway and byways. And Jesus was giving them a picture of the kingdom of let's just invite everybody. This isn't just for the people you would want to invite. This is for the foreigner and the, the outsider and the outcast and the other side. And we're going to bring everybody in. And really what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is for everyone because everyone bears the image of God. And if you would understand that for yourself, you would be able to treat others that way. Jesus changed the conversation about what it meant to have worth and dignity, bestowed worth. Jesus spoke of this often in Matthew. In Matthew 12, he says, uh, Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you take hold of it and lift it out? I think we covered that. But he says, how much more, this is what he's trying to help us to understand, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? See, unfortunately, in those times, certain types of people were, had less value than animals if you couldn't contribute to society. And Jesus is changing the conversation of the value of every human life. And can I tell you that we still haven't come very far in this. We still make our own systems and caste systems, and we make our own rules, and we do the haves and the have-nots depending on how you think or how you vote or where you were born or what age or what demographic or how you like your worships or, or service or how you like this or that. And, and, and everybody bears the image of God. My life, my, life, my life mission is to add value everywhere. Add value everywhere. I was, just, I was just interviewed on a podcast. Like, why are you all about adding value, value everywhere? I said, because I, I said, it's simple. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's, it's just that simple. He added value everywhere because everybody bears the image of God. You know what I found? Most people don't know it or they've forgotten it. And it's not their job to act like it so I can treat them like it. It's my job to pull it out of them so they can be reminded of who they are. That's my job as a follower of Jesus. That's what we do. So he says, hey, therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In Matthew 6, he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds and takes care of them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Matthew 10, he says, are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet one of them, not one of them, will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's saying God even breathes trees and, and, and plants, and, he, and there's twigs that they can make. These sparrows can have their nests, and they can... And when they fall, your heavenly father knows. He goes, aren't you more valuable than the sparrows? Again, humans have value. Humans have value. Humans have value. Dignity, dignity. This is the message of Jesus. It's what got him killed by the top 2% on both sides. When, when you, those of us who had kids, when your kids are born, one of the first things you do is you count their extremities, right? You count their fingers and toes. You really hope there's 20. The Bible says that God doesn't count your fingers and toes. He counts the hairs on your head. That's how important you are. That's how much he knows you. There's not a thing that happens in your life that he's unaware of. And he wants to you to include him into every part of your life. You have that much value. Jesus created a whole new vision and version of what it meant to be human. This was a revolutionary idea. When you came into church this, this weekend in, both of our, in all of our parking lots, there were some, some spots that were the closest to the church that were marked with a blue sign, with a wheelchair. What's that for? Assisted, yeah, handicap assisted. Why? Because in our, in our country, there are laws that now protect those who have a harder time doing basic things to let them have access to, the, to things to get, to get better parking spots because not everybody can function the same way. Do you know where that idea came from? The destruction of the dignity gap by a rabbi carpenter from 
Nazareth, who was born with no dignity and died with no dignity and said, everybody's an image bearer. Because in, the, in those days, they said they couldn't come in the temple because they didn't bear the image of God. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The lame, the crippled, the blind, those who need more may bear the image more. The children bear the image more. Jesus' message wasn't children that should become more like Herod. It was that Herod should become more like a child. Revolutionary. There's a story of a man named, in Boston named Dick Hoyt with this idea of, of, of dignity. His, Dick's uh, son, Richard, was born in, in Boston. Richard's older than I am. Uh, and the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And so he was brain damaged and was never able to walk or talk. Well, as he got older, they were able to build a wheelchair where he could, with the computer that he could speak. And uh, the first time they communicated, um, they found out that he had brain activity because they told a joke and he laughed. And one of the first things he ever said to his dad, who was over 40 and, and well overweight and not athletic at all, said, I want to run. And so Dick Hoyt started training for triathlons and Ironman and marathons at the age of 40. And at this point in their life, Dick has run over 200 triathlons, uh, almost 100 marathons, multiple Ironmans, pushing his almost limbless, lifeless son. And, and the, when the first time they ever did it, uh, Richard Hoyt is on record saying, when my, when my dad pushes me, when, when I run, my disability fades away. And I thought, what a cool picture of what Jesus was trying to help us to understand from the beginning. What a cool picture of what it's like to be carried by God, but what a cool picture that we have this because this guy named Jesus said, everybody matters. I wanna show you a one minute video of, of Dick Hoyt and then we'll close. I feel very honored to have the father I have. He has never said no since the very first time I had asked him to push me in a race. Rick and I are out there running because of what Rick said the very first time that we had a race, that his disability disappears. And that really meant a lot to me. I am the motor, I am his arms and his legs. Like I have said before, my dad is my hands and feet. He is the wind beneath my wings. Our message is, yes, you can. And there's no such word as no in the Hoyt vocabulary. What I love about this story, you should go YouTube it and research it. It's phenomenal. As he says, when we run, my disability disappears. My dad becomes my arms and my legs. The bestowing of dignity. But I thought, what a cool picture of what it's like when we're in the arms of God. That when he carries us, when he pushes us, when we entrust him with our lives, all of our disabilities and our dysfunctions seem to disappear. He has a way to cover and make up for and go, even though you may be this or you may be X or you have this symptom or you have this disease or you have this past thing or you have this failure or you have this thing in your life that would disqualify you in the caste system in the society that you live in. When, you, when I push you, that all fades away because you bear my image and we're together. And so for the message this weekend, the takeaway is two things. Don't you know that you bear the image of God? What if this week, every very intentionally and purposefully, for the next seven days when we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, we start our day. What if the first thought we had is, I bear the image of the Creator. I was created in God's image, and I have value, 
and I have worth, not because of anything I have or haven't done or my world says I have or don't, the social media world compares me to, but because the creator of the universe made me in his image. What if that was how you went and operated and lived this week? And then what if it led to a second thought that every single person that I will interact with this week, whether I know them or not, they also bear the image of the creator and I will treat them as such. This is the message of Jesus. The destruction of dignity, the destruction of the caste system, the destruction of the dignity gap where everybody has bestowed worth and everybody has dignity. Jesus came to redefine dignity and reestablish our worth. And if you've never heard this and you've never put your life in God's hands, I'm going to pray. And if you just want me to pray for you, I'll include you in that prayer. And it's just a, a heart decision, a faith decision where you say, I want to live this way. And for the rest of us, I'm just going to pray that we could actually see people the way God sees them this week. Will you pray with me as we close? If you're, if you're here today and you're just saying, man, I've, ne I've never made a decision to follow this Jesus, but if this is how it is, I want to make that decision today. I just want you to, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up real quick and put it right back down. I just want to pray for you. I see those hands, lots of hands. I want to just pray for you. Just receive and accept this prayer and kind of repeat it in your mind. God, I thank you for every hand that's here who just said, I want to follow this Jesus. I want, I want him to be my leader, my Lord, my savior. God, I know that you are the one who transforms heart. Your word says, if we believe that you're real, we confess that, we, that you're Lord, that God, that, that we will be saved and we can be your followers. So I thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are putting their faith in you today for the first time. God, I pray that we would uh, understand when we wake up in the morning that we bear the image of the creator, that we would understand that we have value and worth, not because of anything we do, have done or haven't done, any success we have or failure we haven't had, but because you say so, because we have bestowed worth because you created us. And God, for the rest of us, would we, be, would we be conscious enough and, and intentional enough and, and led by your spirit to understand that every person we come in contact with this week bears your image and they need and deserve to be treated as such? We will no longer require them to act like it and then we will treat them like it, but we will make it our prerogative to bring the best out of them and treat them like a son or a daughter of the Most High. Fill us with your love. Help us to see what you see and love like you love and help us to have the revelation of how much you deeply, genuinely love us. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to destroy our dignity caste system and now all human beings have equal life and you love us all just the same no matter what. Help us to reflect that this week in Jesus' name and if you agree with that, say amen.